Today on Ag News Daily. Most people in agriculture aren't doing it because of the money. They're doing it because they love it. And it's, and it's a passion and, and they're feeding they're feeding this generation and generations to come. Um, so as far as getting to work and invest in and just be alongside those people that see opportunities and in innovation. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And I was just telling Delaney that I think that I have a ghost in my room or something. I'm freaking out a little bit. Ashton, I don't believe in ghosts, I got to tell you. <laughs> well, you know, it probably just makes more sense that it's the the movement of the air or something because we have a lot of commotion going on in the house and my door doesn't close all the way. So I think that makes a little bit more sense than some kind of ghost trying to mess with me. That might make a little more sense. Yes, you're right. It might sound a little bit more logical, but I, I think it's funny to be illogical when it comes to that kind of stuff. I, I live for the drama of it. <laughs> hey, that's okay. No big deal. At least you admit it. Yeah, I mean, I'm inside, you know, almost all day long working on the computer. So I got to, you know, make some kind of my own fun at sometimes. There you go. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, are you having any kind of fun in the office today? What's been going on in your neck of the woods? Hmm. Well, yesterday we booked a trip for Memorial Day weekend. We're going to Duluth. What Minnesota. Is Sorry for that. For <laughs> for you, you don't know. Sorry, people from the Midwest probably when I say Duluth know exactly what I'm talking about. Duluth, Minnesota. So it's um, right on Lake Superior. It's about an hour and a half, two hours, I think, an hour and a half north of Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So north east of Minneapolis, right on Lake Superior. It's a little canal, lake town. It's supposed to be really cool. It's a great tourist area. And I just decided that we needed to get away because we just finished planting. We haven't had a lot of time to spend together and I needed a break from work. So we're having a little weekend getaway. Well, awesome. I don't know if they, I assume they have the Duluth stores up where you're at. Yes. We have one right around the corner from my house. So I was like, well, yeah. And Duluth, going shopping. <laughs> right. Exactly. And Duluth trading yeah. was awesome. started there. So yes, it'll be fun. Well, Delaney, kicking things off, talking about some news here, because I don't have any fun trips or anything coming up just yet. But I uh, want to talk a little bit, even though we're finishing out planting, at least, you know, some people in parts of the U.S. are, we're already starting to talk about harvest and what commodity prices are going to look like at that time. And specifically, Gary Schnitke, who is an economist from the University of Illinois, is expecting high grain prices come harvest time. He told Brownfield Ag News that if poor weather causes some yield loss, current futures prices will be supported. And Schnicki was quoted as saying a price on the December 2021 corn contract at 609. So that's well above where we've been in recent years. And he added that the market has a wide range of possible variants by using a projection tool based on current futures prices and options prices. Schnicki says there's about a 33% chance that corn prices drop below $5.25 by harvest. And Schnicki says that still that price is a high price, but you can see a 33% chance of being below that. There are still pretty good chances of having some lower prices than what we're currently seeing. 
And he also said that market variability increases as options and futures go up. You might, you know, be well versed in that and know that already, Delaney, but definitely a learning, you know, article for me, learned a little bit about what we might expect come harvest, but I don't know if you're seeing anything. So you might have something to add on what kind of prices we'll see come this fall. Well, I think there's a lot of different factors playing out here. Uh, Weather is definitely going to be a big one here. So I think that's going to be the biggest one, honestly, driving markets moving forward is weather. Absolutely, Delaney. We're going to have to keep an eye out on weather. I am sure a lot of people are tired of hearing about weather because we really aren't seeing, you know, drastic changes or anything like that in the forecasts. But uh, I honestly think that it's been pretty interesting the past couple of weeks for sure. It certainly has. And as we're talking about weather, it's kind of a weather-ish related event, I suppose you could say. But um, due to all of the forest fires that happened in Northwest California, Western part of the United States last year, forests have been able to sequester more carbon to help the country meet emission goals. And so now folks are kind of turning their attention, especially at the USDA, to look out to the West and figure out the role that forests could play in addressing climate changes. So we've seen a couple of different Senate hearings that have been held to look at doing just that. Don't really have any conclusive answers yet, but EPA earlier this week released its accounting of U.S. emissions and carbon sinks from 1990 till 2019 and forests sequestered about 675.5 million metric tons of carbon dioxide or thereabouts in 2019 2019 which offset about 10 percent of overall u.s emissions and still forests are sequestering about 110 million metric tons below 1990 levels mainly because of forest conversion to cropland and higher emissions because of these forest fires so I don't know, an interesting little tidbit of news here or longer term information, I suppose you could say. Well, Delaney, you're absolutely right. Another good piece of information when it comes to carbon and carbon sequestration, because honestly, I feel like we do have a lot of news on that, but still at the same time, we don't have a ton of information on that. So it's good to hear that there. But uh, I have another piece of news that's kind of concerning our court system and the protein industry right now because a U.S. judge has denied Seaboard Foods' attempt to delay a federal court decision that would force the nation's second biggest pig producer to slow the speed of hog slaughtering at an Oklahoma pork plant. Now, this lawsuit was brought against the USDA by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, and it challenged the 2019 rule over concerns about worker safety. And seaboard workers told Reuters that the fastest line speeds increased injuries at the company's plant in Guymon, Oklahoma. And Seaboard, back in April, sought to pursue a 10-and-a-half-month delay to the decision after U.S. District Judge Joan Erickson up in Minnesota ruled against a Trump administration policy that allowed pork plants to slaughter pigs as fast as they want to as long as they prevent food contamination. 
as the first U.S. port company to invest in machinery to run slaughter line speeds faster under this rule, Seaboard stands to lose from the decision. Erickson ruled yesterday that Seaboard's attempt to intervene in the case came too late, though, and the company declined to comment. So just another kind of case here when it comes to really the pork industry kind of versus uh, the U.S. courts. Um, You know, when we're talking about fast line speeds, I definitely think it's important that we take into consideration increased injuries, you know, to company workers, but also what that does to, you know, the protein and the food that, that we're working with. But I definitely think it's something that we have to pay attention to as producers, as consumers, um, you know, and these workers that are involved in these production lines. Well, speaking of workers involved in those production lines, I want to follow up on a story I shared yesterday, Ashton, that's talking about workers down in Argentina that are protesting due to lack of vaccinations available down there in their country. And they've also put forth a ban on beef coming out of the country. So there's a lot of turmoil going on down there right now. But according to the head of a farm association, the Argentine Rural Confederations, he shared that with Bloomberg today, that if the government doesn't lift a ban on beef exports, farmers are going to stop trading their crops next week. Not quite sure how exactly that plays out, I assume, because prices will probably get pushed higher if they're holding on to their crops as opposed to letting it flood to the marketplace. But uh, there's quite a bit of turmoil going on down there right now. And as I mentioned, they're trying to halt the shipment of beef essentially here for 30 days as inflation is approaching nearly 50% down there. And so they're hoping that this helps with inflation. They're hoping it helps with beef prices overall because consumers have been forced to pay some pretty high prices for meat comparably to, I guess, quote unquote, normal. And obviously part of this is related to COVID-19 when supply chain issues were all out of whack globally, not just here in the United States. But beef, beef prices have remained pretty elevated and have made it expensive for Argentinian consumers to be able to buy something as simple as a burger. And so we'll see how this goes. Uh, I know that the government down there is looking at potentially switching away from Argentine supplies, maybe bringing in some more imports, but they will not be allowing any exports. And so they're hoping that they can, you know, adjust the supply chain issue Uh, but a really interesting issue that's kind of playing out down there. Delaney, another story that you shared on the podcast was concerning um, some lawsuits, I believe. I don't remember if it's against the USDA or, you know, what agency it's against directly, but talking about the American Rescue Plan Act, which of course became law back in March, and it directed the USDA to pay off all farm debt held by quote-unquote socially disadvantaged minority farmers. And it faced opposition from some you know, white farmers and concern from banks. I do want to make it clear, you know, Delaney, that you and I aren't expressing our opinions on this you know, kind of sensitive subject, just wanting to make sure that folks know the facts and know what's going on you know, in the U.S. among the agriculture industry and what's going on with USDA. Because earlier today, the agency said that it will start giving out an estimated $4 billion in debt to minority farmers next month in June as they are seeking to address racial discrimination. Now, Delaney, 
you might have to remind me, um, cause you did report on this story of the, I think it was five farmers that were, um, seeking out to sue. I think it was USDA about this because of, um, you know, race and ethnicity. And I believe Dawson was talking about the Texas Ag Commissioner down here, um, of course, in Texas, like I just said, um, Sid Miller, he was concerned about it as well. Um, but it looks like USDA is moving forward with this. And Tom Vilsack, who is the Secretary of Agriculture, of course, said that these payments are needed because minority farmers did not have full access to USD- USDA programs over the past 100 years. The legislation did not allocate a specific amount, but the USDA estimates about $3.9 billion in farm-related debt is owed by minority farmers to the federal government and private banks, and payments will go out to banks and farmers in June after USDA confirms amounts with some 15,000 farmers by mail. I definitely think that this is a pretty big deal because we're seeing things from, from both sides, and I mean... I definitely think that it is a, a sensitive subject, but we're going to have to continue to keep an eye out on this development because I haven't heard anything from those lawsuits. Have you, Delaney? Mm, not a whole lot yet, but I know that there are actually others being filed. I was going to report on this the other day, and I think I had my news tab up and just didn't get to it. But it seems like there was another farmer that had filed, I want to say somewhere up north, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, somewhere along those lines. But yeah, I think we're starting to see more of those coming. Yeah, I I think that is interesting. And we're going to have to just keep looking out on that because I haven't heard too much from those lawsuits. But I mean, looks like USDA, I mean, I can't speak for them, but might not be too concerned if they are pushing forward with this. Um, but yeah, just going to have to be something that we keep looking out on and hopefully we can get some answers to here in the near future, especially if they're planning to roll out this money in June. Yeah. And it's felt very political the whole time. So I don't know how it's going to go. We'll see how that goes, trying to sue the government for this, but I don't know. I really don't have an opinion one way or the other. It's just been interesting to watch. Yeah, and you make a good point there. It has been pretty political. And, you know, I want to be right there with you that I don't really have an opinion either way. I just want to make sure that we're not, you know, doing one thing or another here on the podcast, just stating the facts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I don't really have any other facts to share today, Ashton, other than stating where markets ended for the day. What do you say we hop over and take a look? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, we saw grains sell off just a little bit today, Uh, pretty much red across the board here, but livestock markets were higher today. Kicking things off here, however, in the July corn contract down five cents today to close at 659 and a half. The September down five and three quarters to close at 573 and a quarter. And Dece, of course, down five and a half cents today to close at 546 and a half. July soybeans down seven cents today to end at fifteen twenty-six and a quarter. The November down seven and a quarter cents to close at thirteen sixty and a half. And in Chicago wheat today, July contract closing just down a penny to end at six seventy-four and a quarter. The Dees down a penny as well to close at six eighty-eight on the nose. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, as I mentioned, green across the screen today. Maybe a little excited about the potential uh, ban on Argentinian beef. As I think I mentioned the other day on the podcast, they are about at 25% of China's total beef comes from Argentina. So that could lend itself to the possibility of the U.S. and or Brazil stepping in to fill in some of that share. And it seems that cattle have rattled 
rallied on that news today with the June live cattle contract up a dollar oh seven and a half to close at one seventeen sixty seven and a half. The August up a dollar oh five to close at one twenty ninety two and a half. And in feeder cattle today, the May contract up two dollars sixty two and a half cents to close at one fifty three seventy. The September up two dollars thirty five cents to close at one fifty four ninety. Lean hogs higher as well on the day as the June contract closed a dollar ninety seven and a half cents higher to end at one fourteen twenty two and a half. About halfway recovered from the recent sell-off we've seen here, the July up $3 to close at $116.55. And lastly, wrapping things up here with our Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. They closed lower on the day today as the June contract shed 21 cents to close at 18.13. The July down 16 to close at 18.90. Ashen, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's 30 Under 30 segment. Well, for this week's 30 Under 30 interview, we are talking to Matt Foley, who is the program director for the Combine Agri-Food Incubator. Matt, we're really excited to talk to you today, and I'm really excited to learn more about the Combine. But before we do that, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Ashton, and thanks for having me on. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and, you know, kind of how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, so I am the program director for the Combine Incubator. Um, and to first talk about the Combine, it's helpful to talk about kind of the parent organization, which is a venture development organization, Invest Nebraska. So Invest Nebraska is a 501c3 nonprofit. And basically what that means is a venture development fund is we're investing early stage capital and technology startups across the state of Nebraska. And we have been doing that since about 2011. And it's an amazing job. I mean, it's, I like to say I have the most fun job in the state of Nebraska because honestly, day to day, we're going out and meeting with early stage, passionate entrepreneurs looking to make a difference in the world and each of the industries they work in. That being said, as a state, and this is kind of surprising for Nebraska, we've always kind of struggled to, to support and honestly find and fund early stage ag tech investments. And being in that it's our largest industry, we tried to put some conscious programming and support around it. And that's kind of how our incubator came to be. So I've been with Invest Nebraska as a fund for about four years now. Spent a couple of years as an analyst working on direct venture investments and then now have leading the Combine Incubator for about two years. And my, my family background, my mom's side of the family grew up farming. But honestly, um, agriculture has been an industry that I've been fortunate to get deeply immersed in just the last couple of years. Um, didn't study agriculture in college, um, studied econ and finance, but what I noticed in the early days of working for Invest Nebraska is I feel like the founders that were having the most fun were those working in the blue collar industries, um, a lot of overlooked opportunities. So it's safe to say that I've, I've kind of fallen in love working with a lot of ag tech startups and just the industry as a whole. You know, Matt, you said a couple of times there, you know, the word fun and you have the most fun job in Nebraska and, you know, the people who are having the most fun. So I, I kind of think that that's a little inspirational. I feel like sometimes people get a little too wrapped up in their work, take it a little bit too seriously. Personally, I tried not to look at life so seriously. And it sounds like you might share that same idea. So how do you really keep yourself from taking it too seriously and just try and have fun in the, the field that you're in? Yeah. And you, you've probably heard this in the conversations you've been having with, with this cohort as well as just industry as a whole most people in agriculture aren't doing it because of the money. They're doing it because they love it. 
and it's, and it's a passion and, and they're feeding, they're feeding this generation and generations to come. Um, so as far as getting to work and invest in and just be alongside those people that see opportunities and in innovation, um, yeah, fun honestly is, is the best word I can use to describe it because there are people that see challenge and opportunity, but they're, they're not necessarily motivated by making a ton of money. They're motivated to improve and, and honestly challenge the status quo of the, the most important industry in, in the world. Matt, you don't really have a background in agriculture. I mean, you said that you studied finance in in college. So what's been the biggest learning experience for you going into this industry? Yeah, I think for me, it was just understanding. And so I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska, which by any means isn't a big city, but better understanding the rural impact and rural kind of economics of of how much agriculture impacts these small towns and small communities. Um, so in the combine, we get to work with early stage ag tech startups. And a lot of times they aren't coming from Lincoln and Omaha. They're coming from small towns like Herman, Nebraska, Aurora, Gothenburg. And the opportunity that, the, that these entrepreneurs see, it has an impact potentially nationally and globally, but just as important for them, they want to see it impact their local main street. So I think for me as kind of an outsider to industry before the last couple of years, it's been super cool to just see that perspective and learn more about how ag impacts local communities. For people that are are like you and share that similar experience of not having a large background in agriculture, not having a whole lot of knowledge in it, but are wanting to maybe explore that or dive even further. What are some things that you think they can do to kind of help them along that journey? I think one of the most important things I got early advice early on is don't be afraid to ask a stupid question. And if you're in a conversation and you think it's a stupid question, chances are there's other people in the room or in the conversation that would wish they'd ask it. They're just afraid to. So a lot of times going out in the field, a field trial, working on the farmer, working with the rancher, um, they like to be seen as the most knowledgeable person, but that's because a lot of times they don't get people asking them, hey, why'd you make this decision? Or why'd you go about it this way? Or why'd you choose or not choose to adopt this technology? Um, and just kind of that humility and willingness to ask questions, it goes a long ways. And then in the future, they see you as someone that's open-minded, willing to ask questions and they kind of become an open book and telling you about their operation. So Matt, you should know as well as anyone that the technology industry and the role that it plays in agriculture is forever changing. I mean, I think that every time I, you know, turn my head or something, there's a new technology coming out or a new trend in the industry. So what are some things that you've been seeing lately that, you know, maybe are surprising to you or super interesting? Yes. On a high level, the most exciting thing is, is the next generation of farmers. I mean, a lot of, a lot of incoming farmers are recognizing that the worst thing that they can do is, Hey, we're just going to keep doing this because the way our parents did it. Um, And that mindset is making it really exciting just for the way that they choose to either diversify their operation, the equipment they're buying, the equipment they're not buying. Um, so that just kind of, if you zoom out and think about the mindset that's exciting some of these things, more details, um, it's a push toward profitability. And, and yes, the, the software, the hardware, the sensors, precision auto steer, all the fun stuff, that's all great. But 
farmers are understanding it really doesn't matter if it makes it more profitable, which if it doesn't make it, if it makes it more profitable. So it's, it seems so obvious, but for any other industry, if you were to try to sell to a business and you have all these bullet points for how great the technology is, but it doesn't add value, you're not going to get very far. And I think a lot of coastal ag tech startups kind of spun their wheels for a while. And now from my perspective, it's, it's exciting to see more and more technology coming out of the Midwest and it's coming out of rural communities that understand the impact it can have. And Matt, I mean, you're a part of a, a new set of people that are in the industry that are really making waves. I definitely agree that this next generation and these young people are making waves in the ag industry. And personally, I'm really excited to kind of see that happen. But for yourself, what do you see, you know, in the next five to 10 years on where you're going in the industry? Yeah, I mean, one of our goals, both myself personally, but also for the combine is how can we do a better job of bridging those gaps, gaps of communication, but also gaps of knowledge. Um, and honestly, I think that's one of the biggest challenge the ag industry as a whole faces is there's a lot of people that they never really think about how the food gets to their plate, how it gets to their table. Um, and there's a lot of technologies that honestly have a hammer and they're looking for a nail. So one thing that we've done is we've developed our insights network, which is a group of farmers and ranchers, a lot of times young farmers and ranchers that are looking to give back to local entrepreneurs with their time and their resources, but also selfishly, they want to be looking forward and, and what's the upcoming technology startup that can impact their operation positively. And it's fun to make those connections with the with the farmers and with the entrepreneur, because a lot of times it's, it's people that have completely different perspective on life, different upbringings, and they become a lot of times great friends because they're looking to solve a similar problem. Well, Matt, if some of our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you or the Combine, where can they go to do so? It's probably the best best place is just our website. So it's nebraskacombine.com. And you can read a little bit more about some of the companies we're working with, the program as a whole, as well as about the Insights Network I mentioned. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you again for coming on today and good luck to you in the future. And congratulations for being a part of the 30 Under 30 cohort. Hey, thanks, Ashton. And thanks for having me on this morning. Thanks again there to Matt Foley for coming on and talking to us today. Delaney, I got to say, I definitely don't get bored with these 30 Under 30 conversations because there's just so much to learn and talk about. Uh, there certainly is, Ashton. There certainly is. And we're going to be continuing to learn on the podcast here. We've got great conversations scheduled for next week. We've got a lot of great conversations we're scheduling right now for the World pa World Pork Expo. That was a tongue twister there for me. So, folks, if you are going to be out at that event here in Des Moines, Iowa, feel free to shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily and let us know. We'd love to meet you. I'd love to hear from our listeners. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.